Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. Now here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome everybody to the newest edition of the Church of Roy podcast. We are happy to announce the tank is back. It's back on. We are here back on. So I'm your host as always, Steve Ewald. Uh, I'm joined also as always, now a year older since the last time we spoke, uh, Brian Wilcox. Brian, how are you doing? Happy late birthday. I hope we're, we're a, like four days post when your hangover should have ended. Welcome to your 30s. How are you feeling today? Uh, feeling much better today, I will say. We got back Sunday. And, you know, I think our talk about the craps heater really gave me some good luck rolled in there because we went on a roulette heater, like something I've never seen. So, um, like a true degenerate yeah red 30s baby we're hitting we're hitting a lot for the, there for a while I, I gave most of that back but we had a good run there for a little bit i i think i know it's time for me to go to bed in vegas when i wander to the roulette table and i am very confident that the the double zero green <laughs> is going to hit and that's when usually one of our good friends tyler sabo usually ushers me to to my room and says you're done for the night it's time to put your money away yeah it was like so i i'm it was no, it ahead. was like noon man <laughs> so apparently that's when you got a plan and i i too should have had tyler sabo there to get me to my room a little earlier but hey Ooh. we're here to talk basketball not relive all okay. my all my sins in, in that city all right so like like a noon roulette table there's been some sad stories <laughs> in the last week of the blazers play um you know, we're talking last week of like, oh, my God, are they actually turning a corner here? Is the tank over? Is this going to be a team that's going to just barely squeak into the playoffs? And, and, you know, we spoke, the Blazers delivered. So a loss to Minnesota, a loss to Dallas. They beat the cellar-dwelling Houston Rockets and then back-to-back truly awful losses to the Chicago Bulls and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So very much um trending back in the direction of we're going to be talking about a good lottery pick here um 
Brian, I want you to talk a little bit about the Chicago game because this is this is coming off the win. These are the last two games we're really watching before we record this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, giving up 130 points, this seemed like uh, an avenue the Blazers had maybe turned. Maybe this scheme from Chauncey Billups is working. Clearly the wheels kind of fall off in, against Chicago. Brian, what did you see in that game? What, what worries you going forward? Or maybe if you're embracing the tank, what excites you about that loss? Well, Steve, I mean, they came out looked pretty good. They're up six after the first quarter. It was that second quarter where the Bulls just kind of could put the screws to them. You could tell that's just a deeper, more talented team. And Portland's lack of depth is really showing up, and that's pretty clear. And, in, in you know, you're playing a tough team like the Bulls. Uh, giving up 44 in any quarter isn't ideal, but can never really recover from that. They definitely played them closer, played them down six for the second half. But, you know, overall, just less points scored each quarter consecutively and uh, mm-hmm. looked like a team that just didn't have that gear where they just couldn't, you know, backs are against the wall. They couldn't swing that counter punch, even though that's kind of been, the, you know, the mantra of this franchise for several years. I mean, really, 44 points in the second quarter is just speaks to a team that is injury depleted. Mm-hmm. And really, those those second, third rotations, when you're trying to piece together a roster here, it's just not working. Um, what is concerning is just how easily Chicago got into every single look they wanted um, and really just generated a bunch of easy points in that game. Yep. The game I really... I, I just killed me was that Oklahoma city game. That's when I kind of knew. And I, I will say this with a caveat. Once we, we pronounce this team dead, they, they instantly <laughs> win like five games in a row. So take that for what it is. But what I wanted to say is this, what concerned me about the OKC game was this is once, you know, Yusuf Nurkic, CJ McCollum, uh, Robert Covington, they're on the floor in this third quarter. And OKC absolutely takes it to them. Like, I mean, you're talking about a long scoring drought to finish mm-hmm. the third. It continues into the fourth. And very quickly, this game is completely out of hand. And, and we're talking about just silly mistakes. Like, very clearly, you know, there's a lot of reasons you miss Damian Lillard. But in that game, I really just saw it for the first time where it's like, we can barely run a play from the top of the key. And granted, Anthony Simons was out during this, this section of the game, but just entry passes, just very simple top of the key passes that every NBA team should make was just falling apart. And this just looked like a team that is full of veterans on a roster that is continually playing below expectation from the start of the year. Yes. There's a lot of injuries, but like this team was not built to be where it is now. I just feel like that trade deadline is looming over everybody. Real quick, Brian, what do you, what did you see in that OKC game? I, I know I kind of hit on like what, what killed killed my soul a little bit in that game because they kind of just let me back in and and just disappointed me again. Yeah, lost to the Bulls. That's one thing, right? In Chicago, lost to OKC. Losers of seven straight going into that game. It's really hard, man. And, they didn't shoot the ball well, which always hurts. But to your point, they just weren't getting into good sets. The offense was disjointed. Uh, There's a lot of standing or the or the one pass shoot offense that we've seen in the past. Um, it is there's 
they looked like shit, frankly. And frankly, they looked <laughs> like they were with me in Vegas all weekend. And now I, I probably would have had a DNP flu symptom game, but they, they look sluggish. Um, it's not a lot of fight in the squad. And again, something we've, I'm frankly really sick of seeing out of this, yeah. this group. You know, like, and we talked last week, you know, there was a point where I was ready to kind of start giving Chauncey Billups a benefit of the doubt. Like guys are really buying in, but like, I just feel when you lose your franchise centerpiece and you know, he's going to be out for a considerable amount of time and you know, like these, these players aren't stupid. Like they know this roster is not constructed for viability, like going down, like going down the road. And I just feel like all that is weighing on everybody. You just feel like sometimes it's just kind of the weight of expectation and and kind of despair in this season, truly knowing that this has turned into what we would assume is a lost season is kind of grinding some of these guys down. Um, Boy, this is a positive podcast. Yeah, really, really honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but let's, I, I like. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Sometimes it's the darkest before dawn. I mean, let's, let's remember before we, before the Blazers kind of fleeced the nets and got that pick, it was, it was a pretty dark time. I mean, it was a really dark time. I mean, you're coming off of this podcast namesake, Brandon Roy, is no longer with the team. It looks aimless. You have a coach that has clearly lost the locker room um, and they turn it around quickly. And I think that's what's kind of interesting and provides hope for me going forward with this team is I think this team could really turn it around quickly because you have a player like Damian Lillard to build around going forward. And yes, the play in the last week was not great. I mean, that OKC game was one of the worst Blazer performances I've watched in quite a while. Um, I think we head into this deadline, and I think there is a lot of hope here because I think the Blazers are going to make some moves. Joe Cronin's going to get to kind of show what he's about, mm-hmm. show what what kind of moves he's interested, what kind of connections he has in the league. So I want to lead things off kind of talking about something positive here, which is Yusuf Nurkic. I think if you asked me two weeks ago, he's for sure getting traded, heading into free agency, has kind of not been a model of consistency. Not even kind of hasn't been. He has not been a model mm-hmm. of consistency with this team. Um, I think he has said a lot of the right things and could potentially find himself really as, as someone who, if he's buying in here, could become a, a building block for this team. I think he has shown some things, uh, overcome adversity, especially in the last year, and also come back from an injury. Brian, let kick things off. What do you see for Yusuf Nurkic? Do you think he is, you know, top of the line guy who's going to get traded at this deadline coming up and we'll have one more show before the deadline? I think it's more likely he stays at this point. Um, you know, even last week, I was pretty optimistic about his chances of staying just 
purely from comparing and contrasting him to uh, Turner in Indianapolis, right? And like, how much are you really gaining by making that Miles Turner trade versus staying with Nurk? Um, one thing I really enjoyed from Quick's piece was how outspoken Nurk was about him just being frustrated with this role. Something we discussed that, you know, there are all these things said in the summer that weren't necessarily coming to fruition. He was getting more rebounds and shot attempts. He's not going to be at his best when he's playing like that. He's a guy that needs touches to stay engaged. We all know that. But, you know, I th- he seems like he's coming from a really good place mentally. I think that, you know, bodes well for, for the rest of his year. Um, and I, I just enjoyed kind of the transparency and how he felt about things and, and kind of how he feels now. And it almost seems like he's taking on more of a leadership role in that locker room. I think that's come with a lot of maturity on his end. He wasn't exactly the model uh, team guy, maybe in Denver from a lot of the reports that came out, mostly leaving the stadium. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was a great piece from quick. I think Nurk's staying around and I'll have to say I'm, I'm more on board with that, you know, in the last week or two than I have been for most of the season. I think with me is like when I started really looking at potential trade destinations for Yusuf Nurkic and you're thinking about the teams that could use Yusuf Nurkic and why they could use him. You think about a team like the Lakers, you know, they would just kill for having a really useful utility pivot man who, who just stays in his lane with, with those skill sets and really just controls the pace of the game through his rebounding, through his rim protection, and through his ability to generate easy shots in the regular season for sure. And hopefully it translates to the postseason. And you start to think like if this guy can buy into being maybe the third banana, fourth banana going forward, you know, that's a, that's a piece you want to build around. I mean, he's still young and, and, he has a clear connection to Damian Lillard. And when it comes to that connection, there's a stuff in that quick piece where he's talking about giving back to the community, what he wants to do through his, through the cultural center, through really trying to address the, the homeless situation in Portland, you start to realize what kind of impact Damian Lillard has. And then that's even further amplified when you look at some of the stuff he was saying when he clearly wanted out, of Denver at that trade deadline where he is, you know, made two very clear overtures to, to Conley, the GM at the time with, with Denver saying, Hey, you know, I want out of here. Um, we're seeing the exact opposite here. Now, is this someone who has matured and, and learned that this could hurt his market value going forward? Maybe that's what the cynic would say, but like me, I want to believe that he has turned a corner and he wants to be a part of this franchise. He wants to be a part of this community and if he can really buy in to maybe he's not going to be that second option next year, but he's still going to be extremely useful to this team and to a partnership with Damian Lillard. I say, maybe let's hang on. Maybe let's see what, what the summer brings. And, and really we get there by the flexibility that could potentially be created by the next person I want to talk about, which is CJ McCollum, which I really feel and through reporting from Michael Scotto, from, from Hoops Hype, and Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report, it really feels like this does feel like the time that the Blazers are truly embracing and fielding calls about C.J. McCollum's potential future or, or lack thereof with the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, Brian, what do you make uh, – I, I guess – I said a lot about Yusuf Nurkic there, but what, what do you make, what do you make about uh, uh, C.J. McCollum going forward? Um, 
do you think he's on this roster in a couple weeks? I'm not going to argue that I think he's more available than he's ever been, but I just keep coming back to that contract. Granted, we're halfway through this year. You know, the the time time left shorting, I think, helps his trade value only. Um, just because it's 30 mil for a guy who scores, and that's and is kind of an isolation guy, and that's about it, right? But while he's probably available, Steve, I think he's going to still be here. I think they're going to have trouble finding suitors. Uh, you look at that Pelicans roster, there isn't there isn't a really obvious trade. I think that you know, there's been some talk about Josh Hart, potentially Valanchunas, and, and combining those salaries. And I don't know if he'd bring enough value to that team. It could be a team that just wants to shake something up. They clearly need scoring, especially with Zion out on that squad. But I don't know, man. I still think it's just going to be a tough sell with that contract. Yeah, I, I mean, New, New Orleans is is the key here. And this is what, for me personally, makes me think that CJ could be on the move because it just makes sense to me. Like, when you think about, like, the basketball universe and, and what we've known coming to this point, you know, I would love to talk about Ben Simmons, CJ McCollum trades all day. I would love to talk about CJ McCollum, uh, Paul George trades, Kawhi Leonard based trades. Like, you know, those just never felt right. Mm -hmm. For some reason, this, this new Orleans thing feels like, Hey, this kind of makes sense. This makes sense for both teams because it, I like, I do view, and I think most of the league views and from what we've seen from reporting, um, he is kind of a negative asset. That's how most of this league views him, mainly because of the contract, not yep. because of what he brings to the table. New Orleans has to make a move. They, they have a team that you're still living in the aftermath of Anthony Davis. You get this hopefully generational talent in Zion Williams, and, mm -hmm. and he's yet to really play you know, meaningful games for a meaningful amount of time. And you're thinking, oh, my God, I got to make a move here. And, and, you know, yes, they have a bunch of picks. Yes, they have Brandon Ingram. But kind of overpaying or, or at least absorbing a negative asset like C.J. McCollum kind of makes sense for them. They're one of the only teams that C.J. McCollum kind of makes sense for them because if they're able to keep Brandon Ingram, clear a landing pad for Zion Williamson, and, and bring in, you know, a score-first guard like C.J. McCollum, suddenly that team kind of starts to make sense. And, and as a Blazer fan, you know, I've got, the ship has sailed for me. Like, I don't think we're, you're ever going to get equal value for, for what CJ McCollum actually means to this team yeah. when this team is clicking. Um, I think you can go and get a guy like Josh Hart, who's on, you know, just above $10 million deal. Makes a lot of sense on the wing. Still probably has his best basketball years ahead of him. Smart player. Um, came from a great system in Villanova. Like, I, I think he's a guy who makes sense for them. And it makes sense next to a guy like Norman Powell, who suddenly gets a lot more playing time when CJ McCollum's not here. I, I just wonder if New Orleans would be able to part ways with a guy like Jonas Valanciunas, who makes a lot of sense for Portland, especially, you know, I know I said all these great things about Yusuf Nurkic, but there is still a definite possibility he looks to greener pastures, especially with Clutch mm -hmm. um, going into next season. Um, you cover your bases there, which if Jonas Valanciunas is your, your backup big, man, you're cooking, especially like in the regular season. Like you, you were able to overcome injury issues and, and the whole gambit of, of what this gauntlet is in the NBA now. 
So I don't know. I just feel like New Orleans just makes a ton of sense. So talk me off this cliff, man. Tell me why it's not going to work. Uh, I have a hard time just seeing the con. I don't think Valanchunas, I don't think they'd go with both Valanchunas and Josh Hart. But if you were to construct a trade around just Josh Hart, that's such a large salary disparity that there isn't a whole lot of other options, right? And when you think about it, it's kind of crazy to, you know, CJ's value is falling to the point where we're talking about a trade centered around Josh Hart, who was okay in LA. And, you know, he's been okay. Fantastic rebounder for his position. I like the guy, especially in fantasy. But, you know, he's not exactly like a borderline all-star, you know, elite score like CJ has been looked at for most of his career. So I think it just says a lot about the contract situation and maybe some, some of the failings that that backcourt had, or, you know, they had a lot of successes too, but just getting the inability to get over that hump and maybe his lack of versatility in a league that more and more, you know, guys that can slide down, slide up positions are, are very attractive to teams. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. And, and like it is, it is crazy the fall from grace from where we might have been, you know, three years ago, four years ago, where you're talking about if this team, if you break it up, I mean, this is something that Damarang, Dave Deckard were talking about on their podcast, you know, four or five years ago mm-hmm. is, you know, is Demarcus Cousins an option if you break this up? And like now we're, yeah, yes, we're talking about Josh Hart, but I'm thinking about functional cap space, functional roster. Yep. And, and, um, and Steven, I like the idea because I think that this opens you up. You know, we've talked about how you, have, how you have your four guards and the bills come and do on Simons. And so mm-hmm. if you can get off one of those guys, I think, you know, getting Simons at 20 mil a year, whatever that number is this summer makes a lot more sense just because you open up those backcourt minutes. So I like it. There's just a lot of contract, you know, matching that they have to figure out and hopefully a good thing. Joe Cronin's a cap whiz because he's got his work cut out for him. Yeah, I, I really hope he uh, he picked up that from the brief uh, Rich Cho era in Portland yeah, while he was brief. here. So, um, you know, we've talked about Nurkic. We've talked about CJ McCollum. I want to talk about, you know, the third guy in this three-headed monster of trades. Robert Covington is a guy who I would not only be surprised if he's here. I think it would be like a dereliction uh, of – Joe Cronin's duties if he's still here like I think he is an asset that has to be moved yeah like I I don't see what he's doing going forward um I think you have to move him because I think there is a market for him um what do you make of of kind of Robert Covington's market how does Joe Ingles injury factor into this with the Utah jazz, a team that we've heard a lot about when you're talking about Robert Covington, what still makes sense. And where are you sitting on? Are are you as bullish on on a Robert Covington trade as I am? I think it still has to be done to your point. That's a guy that's probably not coming back. I mean, all signs point to him not coming back next year. So you have to make a move. It's just finding the right fit. Even with angles going down, I do kind of wonder that, you know, if the Blazers do fully embrace the tank, then I think angles is still on the, still on the table. And maybe if anything, it, it increases Covington's value a little bit because you're, you know, mm-hmm. essentially trading for a guy that's not playing for 10 months or whatever. So I'm with you. I think he's as good as gone probably and, and probably should be, even if it's for, let's call it a couple second round picks, which is not your ideal scenario for a guy you traded two first round picks only a couple of years ago, but 
it's kind of the reality of his output right now. And, and, um, you know, once again, it's the guy with diminished trade value. We're looking to get an off of, which is too bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I think here too, I think the important thing to mention as well is I think Jeremy Grant is the first shoe to draw yeah. when you're talking about the Robert Covington market. Um, I think if a team swings and misses on a perimeter defender, someone who can play in a team-based scheme, I think Jeremy Grant's kind of your guy. He, he kind of fits more, ticks more of those boxes. Um, once we see where Jeremy Grant lands, I, I think we see where Robert Covington goes, which makes me believe this will be kind of out of the ordinary for the Blazers because we've seen them make moves before the deadline. I think Robert Covington will be like right to the deadline type move. I would agree with you. And I think it'll be probably like a, top five or six team in one of the conferences, right? Probably closer to top three where it's just, they, hey, they swung and missed on Grant. They're going to try to load up for the stretch run with some more length on the perimeter. No, I I totally agree here. Like, I, I think contenders will come calling for Robert Covington when the time comes, even if, you know, I'm going to be panicking going into it. Because like I said, I, I really think the expectation here is to get rid of him get rid of him sounds harsh but i mean you got to move on you you got to try to recoup some value from from like you said you gave up two first round picks for this guy um things did not work out as planned i I think on a different timeline maybe robert covington is that missing piece for the blazers um as far as contenders that could come calling i think one team that makes sense and, and a few people have talked about it is the Milwaukee Bucks, like if you just mm-hmm. slot him into that PJ Tucker role, I, I think he makes a ton of sense. Now, whether or not salaries make sense for the Blazers, that's a totally different story. And I think that's kind of the the issue with the Cleveland Cavaliers here, which is another team that's been rumored to be interested, is when you look at that cap sheet, which we did before this show, you're mm-hmm. just looking at it and going, oh my God, there's not a lot here that I really like. Um that said, you just got to find another team to come along with you. Um, and really, with the Covington trade, whether a three-way trade, whether it's CJ McCollum, whether it's Robert Covington, whether it's Yusuf Nurkic, um, find a way to – I think the Blazers are really trying to find a way to just get under that tax line and get some assets that can move forward on Damian Lillard's timeline for next season. Um, as far as timeline moving forward – um, I think the big thing here is when we're talking about tanking and this team turning, like it feels like, you know, the nail kind of got put in the coffin last week is really, I think the most exciting part where we can hang our hat on where, you know, we're talking about looking forward to this, to this trade deadline is really, there are some top level prospects in this draft that are going to land potentially in the Blazers range and, and I know Brian's giving me the cue, like we're not going to talk about draft right now, goddamn it! Because <laughs> <laughs> like, if you if you get me down that avenue, no, no, you, you know, you're, I, you're in the draft and like for yeah. for twenty twenty three already probably, and I'm like, yeah, I'm barely, yeah. I'm barely scratching the surface, but continue. But but you know, as I continue to watch him play, like he is my pre, he's been my pre NFL game weekend starter it is Paulo Bonchero uh, at Duke, Seattle guy. Like I've talked about him before on this podcast. I'm going to talk about him again. Like, I think that guy makes so much sense for this team as far as what you want to do next to Damian Lillard. Is he a lights out shooter? 
No. It, could he get there? Probably. But he is just, you know, a five-tool outfielder to use a baseball mm-hmm. reference. Like he just has a base of skills across the board that are super useful that you could see plugging in to an NBA team. And he's a kind of player that gives a team flexibility that's really trying to make that next level push to to being a true contender. But while we're, outside hey, of the dra- while we're on the draft, ahead, just real quick, I want to poke your brain on it real quick. Have you been surprised with Jabari Smith's kind of ascent of draft boards? You see him, you know, depending on what site you're at or who you're reading, that you know, and he's a power forward from Auburn, a little slimmer, but kind of that three fork combo, 6'10, 210 pounds, can has a really nice shooting stroke. Have you been surprised to see him leapfrog Holmgren and Bonchero in some people's eyes? It's not unanimous by any means. I don't think there's going to be unanimous number one prospect in this draft, personally, but. Have you been shocked at, at how he's come out this season for Auburn? You know, he's a guy I really yes, like y- for sure. Y- y- yes and no. Am I shocked? Yes and no. I-, I feel like we do this thing with the draft, with the NFL and the NBA, where if a certain player archetype either succeeds or fails at the next level, that will either that will have a, a weighted grade on the next player that kind of fits that more. A little recency bias, maybe. And, and yep. when you look at Jabari, yeah, absolutely. When you look at Jabari Smith, I think it's easy to make that translation to, is this Evan Mobley 2.0? And I think Evan Mobley's success this year in the NBA as a rookie directly correlates with teams and draft analysts really buying into the Jabari Smith you know, hype, which I really like Jabari Smith. I, I, think, I think he probably is going to be the number one pick, and I think he probably deserves it. Um, I don't think the Blazers are going to land at number one. So that's why I'm already kind of like playing the Bonchero game in my head or maybe the Chet Holmgren right. uh, situation. But, you know, if, if I'm going to just take a guy who I just really like in that top five that makes no sense for this roster, it, it's, it's Johnny Davis. I, oh. I mean, I love, Wis- I love Wisconsin basketball style this year. I love that guy's demeanor. I love how he plays, but it makes zero sense for this roster, especially if you retain Anthony Simons. But no, I, I, I'm a huge Jabari Smith guy uh, as far as what he could bring to the table. And yes, I will admit, I think that definitely plays in to how well Evan Mobley has performed this season for the Cavaliers and really just an instant catalyst for that franchise really turning the corner. That's fair. I just want to touch your get, – get, get your <laughs> – Get your temperature on that guy real quick because I have some thoughts. So yeah. we'll, we'll move yeah, on. Yeah. We got a lot of time to talk about the draft. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And with no playoffs this year, probably we're going to have to. Oh, it's going to get early. It's probably coming early. So, as far as timeline goes, you know, we were talking about it earlier. Um, I think one of the kind of the just kind of bummer news in a season of just a bunch of bummer stuff is Nasir Little. Um, had season-ending surgery this week since we last spoke. He, he got injured and then mm-hmm. elected to have the season-ending surgery. I just, you know, the track record for players recovering from this level of bad luck to start their season is not great. You know, we're, we're talking about, I believe, who was the guy we drafted out of, the Blazers drafted out of Duke a few years ago? Uh, oh, Elliot? Oh, oh, boy, I got Are you talking Elliot? Uh, uh, no, he was, he was, uh, uh, man, you're Someone going down just, the rabbit hole. I mean, 
someone someone is just screaming into their car stereo right now like it's this guy <laughs> but yeah um harry harry giles we didn't we yeah, drafted well, him and I mean, flipped him then we had him later but yeah yeah um i just feel like the track record for these these players who encountered this much injury related setbacks early in their season early in their careers have a hard time just really kind of getting back on track um I hope Nasir Little is not one of them because that guy has had a really just a truly solid season, like really came into a new coaching staff, played above expectation or or certainly met expectations with with a lot of doubters pointed against him. Um, Good comp might be Zach Collins, a guy that, you know, kind of came out as sort of a great prototype for today's league and then just battled. Battled early injuries, and then unfortunately for for Zach, I mean, well, fortunately for Zach, in one way, he got a pretty decent deal to leave, but never really lived up to his full potential with Portland, mostly due to injuries. So, um, I hate to put that comparison out there, but that's pretty, uh, you know, as far as kind of a lot of injuries early, that guy comes to mind for sure. Uh, Elliot Williams was the comparison I was going for out of Memphis. That's what I was thinking. I, I, He's apolog- a Memphis guy, I, apolo- yeah. I, I apologize. You know, the blue uniforms, they get me every time. Um, I, uh, I do hope that Nasir Little does avoid this. And I think Zach Collins is a perfect thing to bring up because in this last week, he is he's balling out for the G League team. He's he's back on the floor after, you know, a very, you know, if you look at the last two, three years, an extremely long absence from playing mm-hmm. meaningful basketball. And, and, you know, just through four games, the guy's averaging 15.3 points per game in the G League, 8.5 rebounds. Um, got a little bit of a three-point stroke going, but shooting above 50% from the field. Um if he can figure it out, man, what a great story. I mean, yes, it's not with the Blazers, but man, I'm rooting for that guy. I mean, not only am I a Gonzaga yeah, I was fan, say, there you go. But, no, but who wouldn't root for but, a guy with that much, that many injury issues throughout his young career? Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. Yeah. Great story. And the Spurs yep. are a good organization to, you know, recoup your career. So speaking of good organizations, I want to turn our focus before we tune tune out for the night to to a questionably run organization. Yeah. Um, my my favorite team in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins, have been in the news for for not the right reasons. But we talked about it on the show, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, Coach Brian Flores was dismissed from the team, um, and you know, there's a lot of serious stuff and some of the news that's come out about Brian Flores. So if you want to pause the podcast and look up some of the stuff that came out on, on Tuesday of this week, um, go ahead and then we'll resume here. But, but really there's some stuff as far as interviewing and how um, black coaches are treated in the NFL and, and what type of equal opportunity really exists in the NFL. But in relation to the dolphins, I think there's an interesting concept that was brought forth in the case that Brian Flores has brought against the NFL, as far as Steven Ross, the owner of the, the Miami dolphins was paying Brian Flores reportedly a hundred thousand dollars per loss to incentivize <laughs> tanking and really, you know, not great. That's this is a bad message, but is it really that crazy? Like if that's what you want to do and your team is not built to win, why not? And you know, you have a good coach. Why not incentivize them to lose? And, and, and you know, 
pay them to, to, you know, hey, we got your back when this team is good. You know, we want you here. This is why we're going to compensate you right now through this. And it, you know, led me to the question, has Chauncey Billups shown enough? <laughs> should, should the Blazers be paying him for the Blazers to lose? Should they incentivize losing? I, I, don't, I think Chauncey's doing enough without financial incentive as far as the, <laughs> as far as the tank show goes. <laughs> but, yeah, and, you, and, know. you know, I think my thoughts on the whole tanking thing, though, is like you really – I think your players should continue to play hard every night and your coaches should continue to coach hard every day. It's really the front office's job to just have a, you know, you just don't have the talent out there to compete, and then you naturally fall into those spots. So I can see why people have a problem with the 100 grand a game. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, maybe Chauncey is getting paid, man. They're, they're saving all that salary from old Shea that, you know, they got a little, little extra in the coffers to, uh, you know, you got a couple Denver guys at the top of this pyramid, man, and Joe Cronin and Chauncey Billups. And then he brought – well, so. then Chauncey brought his brother down to just aid in the tank job because he he didn't exactly put it. I believe he's at DU and had a, the record got progressively worse each year he was there. So, you know, maybe he's as, a as secret – maybe he's a secret weapon. <laughs> hey, I got the guy. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think – the difference between NBA tanking and NFL tanking is a little different. Like, yes, I think the NBA is an incredibly physical sport and these guys do, you know, put their bodies on the line, but the NFL is like such a high risk sport and to pay someone to, to actively tank and you're putting, and you're telling these, these men to go out on the field and sacrifice, you know, their bodies in a loss when you're actively trying to lose like that's where it gets a little kind of gets a little gross (laughs) but um as far like i think you brought up a good point about tanking though and i think when i try to explain tanking to people i think this is the big misunderstanding this is the big disconnect is even through the sixers years i i think you those players always went out to win i think brett brown always coached those guys Mm -hmm. to win it is the front office that may or may not put that team at a disadvantage from a talent standpoint and really does not apply pressure when like, Hey, you got to win here. It's more like, Hey, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. And that's kind of what I want to see this Blazers team do down the stretch. As far as let's see what Trenton Watford does. Let's see if he's an NBA player. Let's, let's really see what Anthony Simons does as a league guard mm-hmm. here. Let's, let's, you know, really explore every rotation possible here. Let's, literally throw what's at the wall see what sticks um well maybe not literally i don't want to do that on the court but i mean figuratively let's throw it at the wall see what sticks um i think that's tanking for me and i think you if you tell your players actively like go out there and lose i think it creates just this toxic environment and a losing culture and i think and that's what you want to avoid. And I think it's going to be easy to avoid if you're building around a player like Damian Lillard. Yeah. And I think really our, you know, wish for the squad to tank is just to take one step back and hopefully three steps forward. Right. It's not, we're, we're not actively rooting for this organization not to do well. It's to get over this hump that they've been fighting year after year after year. This is a position where they can maybe get some assets to do that. So I would agree with everything you said, I think so. Damn. I mean, 
really, I mean, if, if like my, my win, like my bingo card last thing for me, and I, I mean, I want to hear yours too, if you can think of it on the fly, but like my bingo card after the trade deadline is get a player like Josh Hart and get some financial flexibility, get off a contract like CJ McCollum's be in position to still get a favorable lottery pick in the draft this year and go into next year, full steam ahead and really build around some of the culture that, that Damian Lillard has cultivated. You get a year under Chauncey Billups's belt and hopefully this team moves forward in a winning situation. So that's kind of my, my bingo card is Chauncey Billups experience early round, early draft pick and, and get a young player and some financial flexibility going forward. I completely agree without sacrificing that winning culture. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think you can even try to improve on that. There is, I mentioned, I think this is like the third time I brought up this podcast. And I think it's because <laughs> I'm so sick of seeing it, but the, the, you know, it takes this team with their back against the wall to go out and really compete some nights. And I think that that's something you could foster with, you know, even while you're still losing games, just going out there and competing and kind of having that process down and that mentality instilled in your squad. Mentality and a mean streak a little bit too. Yeah. I think, I think that's what me and you especially have kind of always really enjoyed about Yusuf Nurkic when he's dialed in. It's yet, yet a little bit of that mean streak. Yep. So that said, that's all we got for this week's show. We're going to have one more before the trade deadline. We're going to go all out on that show. We're going to really dive into to the latest rumors there. And I think me and Brian want to put ourselves in the shoes of what we would do with the deadline if we were in Joe Cronin's position. So um, that's all I got. Brian, anything before we get out of here? No, just thanks for listening as always. And Steve, always love our conversations, my friend. All right. Till next week. Go Blazers. Go Zers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Spotify Greenroom every Saturday, bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.